Influencing the Influencers, a walkthrough of the FTC's new social media guide. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk once again about advertiser guidelines. This video is actually about influencers and the Federal Trade Commission in the United States. Now, if you follow the channel for a while or if you've listened to Virtual Legality at all, you know, this is one of those areas that we've talked about at some length, because in particular in the sale of software and in the sale of video games, more and more companies, more and more publishers are starting to look towards social media influencers as the most efficient marketing pathway forward, more than games journalists, more than review outlets, whatever those might be. And so we saw this earlier in the year, especially with the launch of Apex Legends. We've seen this in things like changing commission rates uh, for sales through the Epic Game Store and the launch of Borderlands 3. We've seen all these questions pop up about what someone needs to disclose, especially people that don't necessarily have lawyers. They don't necessarily have law firms behind them. We're not really usually talking about giant 50-person social media influencing companies. We're talking about one or two or a couple people working together and getting huge followings on social media and then endorsing things. And where you might not expect it, you have legal obligations. And so the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which is charged in the United States to essentially prevent deceptive advertisement. Uh, and deception can include both uh, formal lies as well as lies of omission, such as being paid something to say something and not tell the people that you're saying it to that you have been paid. And those lies of omission are really what we're talking about here. And it's one of the reasons you see on social media things like hashtag ad or advertisement or partner of a brand. But until a couple of days ago, the Federal Trade Commission rules looked a lot like what I'm used to reading, but maybe not what a lot of folks are used to reading. They looked like this. This is the endorsement guide here. We've got section numbers. We've got long form examples. Looks a lot like tax uh, documents, if you're familiar with looking at those kinds of things. And a lot, a lot of language, a lot of things for people to kind of contemplate, to consider. And frankly, a lot of folks aren't going to go through the bother of reading these kinds of things. So the FTC then took another crack at it and they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do fact style because we hear those, those people like facts. And so we're going to do it as a whole question and answer document. You can already see that this is highlighted from areas in which I've talked about it on my various videos. And we did these questions, shorter answers, but a lot of questions, a lot. We can scroll through this for a long, 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 long time. And I think what the Federal Trade Commission was ultimately determining is that they've got a lot of useful information here. They've got folks like Hogue and places like Virtual Legality talking about these various things, but a lot of people weren't complying or didn't even know that they had to comply. And as much as you might dislike federal regulation or the FTC or, or love it, depending on which side of the spectrum you fall on, one of the things that the FTC isn't about, or at least most of the well-meaning people at the FTC that I've ever interacted aren't about, is just trying to trick people into violations. They believe in their ambit. They believe in trying to keep deceptive advertisement out of the marketplace to protect consumers from those kinds of deceptions. So they don't actually want things to be really difficult to understand. And as we move forward into what I have somewhat tongue-in-cheekly called the age of the influencer in previous videos, the FTC has found an importance in trying to communicate these concepts to these folks that aren't necessarily dealing with these kinds of things all the time. I pulled up one of the earlier videos that I did, uh, really early actually, this is from February of this year, 
called Apex Legends running afoul of FTC advertiser guidelines. And this was one of those that jumped out and one of my early videos on this subject because the folks at Respawn had flown out influencers for a kind of private event to even tell the world about Apex Legends. Nobody knew about this game before they did this. And then as they came back, some of them said things like Apex Partner. A lot of them didn't when they were on their Twitch, when they were on their uh, Twitter account, on social media in general. And so I did a video on what the FTC endorsement guide said and how influencers are going to have to be more careful going forward. And one of the things in this video is that the FTC is changing its approach to influencers. That's a good thing. You want to get this information out to the right people. If you are an influencer, one of the things that you have to keep in mind now is that the Federal Trade Commission is clearly paying attention to you, right? To some extent, when we talk about regulatory bodies, it's great when they try to make things easier. It's great when they try to streamline things for you. To some extent, now that we know that they are streamlining, now that we know that they are trying to focus on influencers and what they are seeing in social media influencing, that this is going to become more and more of an issue at the FTC, as one would expect, but it's going to have a higher level of compliance requirement. The FTC will probably be going forward and looking for a few people that are in direct violation of what we're about to talk about in order to make examples of them, to explain exactly what is right and what is wrong in the real marketplace and not in these kind of hypothetical examples. And before this point in time, I would have said, well, the Federal Trade Commission is interested in making sure there's a lack of deception out there in the market. They haven't really turned their eye towards all of this that much because you still have multinational corporations. You still have big deal entities that the FTC has to deal with first. You had bigger fish to fry. And I think that's still the case. I don't expect that you're going to have a lot of action from the FTC against influencers in the near term. But I think now in the medium term, and especially in the long term, this is the kind of thing that influencers absolutely need to pay attention to because the FTC has you on your on their radar. And that's going to come up more and more and more often as we go through the 2020s would be my guess. But let's take a look at what they announced just a couple days ago when they said in their blog post, the FTC releases advertising disclosure guidance for online influencers. New document and videos summarize how to ensure consumers are aware of advertising relationships. The Federal Trade Commission has released a new publication for online influencers that lays out the agency's rules of the road for when and how influencers must disclose sponsorships to their followers. The new guide, Disclosures 101 for Social Media Influencers, provides influencers with tips from FTC staff about what triggers the need for a disclosure and offers examples of both effective and ineffective disclosures. The guide and accompanying videos underscore that the responsibility to make disclosures about endorsements lies with the influencer. The guide outlines the various ways that an influencer's relationship with a brand would make disclosures necessary, and it reminds influencers that they cannot assume that followers are aware of their connections to brands. I actually think that last part, which is in their endorsement guides, is going to be one of the bigger issues, especially as we talk about it in respect of streaming, because there isn't a great kind of contour given for how many times you have to repeat yourself. And I think when we talk about these kind of marathon streams, six, seven, eight more hours, then you do have as, a, as an influencer this kind of obligation to continue to talk about the fact that uh, you are uh, influenced yourself by the fact that somebody has uh, bought and paid for your commentary or otherwise given you perks for that commentary. Now, one of the things they highlight at the end of this blog post is that this summarizes the FTC's existing guidance in the area. So what we're about to talk about 
is supposed to be a smaller, easier to understand version of those two giant documents I highlighted earlier in the video. And I think to some extent it is, although certainly in the format we're about to look at, it is more obvious what the FTC is concerned with than just the kind of 3,000, 5,000 word approach where it's kind of not as clear exactly what are the most important areas to concern yourself with if you are an influencer. So at the end of the day, They've looked at this and they said, how can we communicate with folks that are now in this business and maybe don't know what they have to do? And we're going to make this kind of pamphlet. We're going to see it's only six or seven pages long. And we're going to put videos out there because everybody loves videos. Now, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but the FTC thought it was. And that's kind of the initiative that they have done now in early November of 2019 to address this kind of age of the influencer phenomenon. So let's take a look at the document itself. If you followed virtual legality, I'm not sure that there's going to be a ton here that surprises you, but it is summarized in a fashion that is designed for folks that don't necessarily have lawyers, that don't necessarily subscribe to virtual legality to try to cope with what it is that they have to do. Disclosures 101 for social media influencers. Do you work with brands to recommend or endorse products? If so, you need to comply with the law when making these recommendations. One key is to make a good disclosure of your relationship to the brand. This brochure from FTC staff gives tips on when and how to make good disclosures. The FTC works to stop deceptive ads, and its endorsement guides go into detail about how advertisers and endorsers can stay on the right side of the law. If you endorse a product through social media, your endorsement message should make it obvious when you have a relationship, quote-unquote material connection, because that's the language they use in their more formal legal documents, with the brand. A material connection to the brand includes a personal, family, or employment relationship, or a financial relationship. I think they have that or there at the end because everybody assumes it includes a financial relationship. If they are paying you, obviously that's a material connection. What the FTC is trying to establish here on the first page of substance in this document is it also includes things that you might not otherwise expect. It's essentially a categorization of things that if you're a lawyer, or if you're otherwise in a fiduciary relationship, you might understand as conflicts of interest. Okay, is there somebody else on the other side that a third party would want to know about? Do I have a family connection to this brand? Are they friends of mine? Do I have an employment relationship? You know, personal can be a, a broad scope of things. And so you have to determine on a kind of ethical basis as well as compliance with the FTC rules, whether or not a personal relationship, if I know you and I ask you to say something nice about my prospective board game Kickstarter, is that the kind of thing that is an endorsement? Such as the brand paying you or giving you free or discounted products or services on the financial relationship side of things. So that includes discounted products or services, not just the free version of whatever it is that you might be reviewing or endorsing. And that's what came up with Apex Legends is that you got flown out, you got put up in a hotel, you got a buffet, whatever it is, you got feted by Electronic Arts and Respawn. And so once that happens, if you go out and you say, hey, I just saw the coolest thing uh, and Apex Legends is going to be awesome, that you have to disclose the fact that you were given these special perks that the public at large wasn't given and that the public at large, according to the FTC and according to FTC rules, is entitled to know that you got those perks, not so that you are completely discounted in what you have to say, but so that your listeners can weigh exactly how they feel about what you were given and how they feel about the fact that you are a partner uh, at Apex or wherever you might be endorsing. Telling your followers about these kinds of relationships is important because it helps keep your recommendations honest and truthful, and it allows people to weigh the value of your endorsements. 
As an influencer, it is your responsibility to make these disclosures, to be familiar with the endorsement guides. So they try to wrap in those longer documents by reference and good luck to them. But at least the rules in general are in this kind of pamphlet document. And to comply with laws against deceptive ads, don't rely on others to do it for you. When to disclose. As we've talked about, you have to disclose when there's a financial employment, personal or family relationship with a brand. Financial relationships aren't limited to money. Disclose the relationship if you've gotten anything of value to mention a product. If a brand gives you free or discounted products or other perks and then you mention one of its products, make a disclosure even if you weren't asked to mention that product. Don't assume your followers already know about your brand relationships and make disclosures even if you think your evaluations are unbiased. You know, one of the areas where this is coming up more and more is kind of the new offshoot personality-based reviewing media for things like video games or movies. And if you get free tickets, if you even if you're somebody that's really well-established and gets review copies of basically everything, like, say, the Easy Allies, you still have to consider whether or not you need to disclose something about the fact that you got a review copy to review these things. And traditional media doesn't generally do that, I don't believe, that your folks like your IGN or your GameSpot or other review outlets, because it's known that they get these copies, they review them and they'll give them a nine or they'll give them a two uh, and that they aren't otherwise compromised. But as we move further and further towards the kind of age of the influencer and even out of those outlets, you have personality-based review outlets springing up then folks like the Easy Allies or elsewhere have to go forward and think about what they are going to disclose. Now, I believe in their reviews, they actually have a statement somewhere in their description of their video that says something along the lines of, hey, uh, as a review outlet, we get review copies of things, uh, and that doesn't impact what we say about the the video game in question. Uh, But everybody now is going to have to think about that more and more. They really have had to think about that for a while, but the FTC is clearly kind of focusing its position on these influencers. Keep in mind that tags, likes, pins, and similar ways of showing you like a brand or product are endorsements. I think that's a great tip because I don't think it's one that people will necessarily think about. If you heart a tweet, if you like something on Instagram or elsewhere, then that can count as an endorsement in the FTC's eyes. And since there isn't a good mechanism for explaining that you are, uh, quote unquote, you know, compromised or that people should weigh that like, there isn't a good way to actually disclose that when you're clicking that heart. I think influencers are going to have to be more cognizant, more careful of what it is they like if it isn't otherwise able to be known that they have these perks, that they have been paid, that they have this relationship. So in these kinds of small ways, you might have to, if you're an influencer, be prohibited from using them uh, in the way that you might like to and, and to be cognizant of how you're using Twitter or other social media because you can't properly disclose in those avenues. If posting from abroad, U.S. law applies. If it's reasonably foreseeable that the post will affect U.S. consumers, foreign laws might also apply. That's just a general rule. If you have no brand relationship and are just telling people about a product you bought and happen to like, you don't need to declare that you don't have a brand relationship. That might be true. You don't need to. You don't have to. You can, of course. You can say, hey, and I'm not even sponsored by these folks to bring up their name here. I just love it so much. I want to say that. However, you know, if you're in the business of selling your endorsements, if you actually are a full-on influencer as a career, you have to be cognizant from a business perspective of the fact that when you don't give that, when you don't say, hey, I'm not even paid to say this, it kind of lowers the value of the things you are paid to say. So this isn't an FTC question. This is kind of a business strategy question, but you got to be cognizant of exactly what it is that you say when you don't have a relationship as well as when you do have a relationship because you don't want to establish a kind of pattern where uh, it looks like for all the world that when you're bought and paid for, you're bought and paid for. You want to be cognizant of that 
uh, as well. You want to have some kind of neutral position if you are in this kind of endorsement field. However, uh, that's not up to me and that's not legal compliance. As the FTC rightly says here, you don't have to declare that you don't have a brand relationship. You just have to declare when you do. How to disclose. Place it so it's hard to miss. The disclosure should be placed with the endorsement message itself. Disclosures are likely to be missed if they appear on only the about me or profile page or at the end of posts or videos or anywhere that requires a person to click more. Don't mix your disclosure into a group of hashtags or links. That's one of those that I see most often when you're looking at Twitter or Instagram, when you have a hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored, hashtag whoever partner, and you also have things that are of uh, subject matter to, to get search hits and things like that. The FTC is specifically saying here, don't do that. They have to be separated out. There has to be some kind of separation between you saying ad or sponsored or whatever you're going to say and the rest of your hashtags or links. If you put them all in a bucket, it's like terms and conditions when we talk about a contract of adhesion and you've got really significant terms on page 33 in the exact same font and the exact same text as the rest of the terms that may or may not fly in a court of law. So the FTC says, hey, you have to make sure those are up front or at least separated from the rest of the things that you are saying. If your endorsement is in a picture on a platform like Snapchat and Instagram stories, superimpose the disclosure over the picture and make sure viewers have enough time to notice and read it. I don't know whether that's happening. Uh, I'm not a regular Instagram stories or Snapchat user, uh, but I would be interested in hearing in the comments to this video whether if you are using Instagram or you are using Snapchat, you see that happen uh, from time to time. Because if this is a new requirement, you know, this is one of those things where people are going to have to start to think about what the FTC is recommending here. And maybe it's necessary. Maybe it's not. Again, this is qualified, this document, as tips from the FTC. But it certainly seems like if Instagram is so focused on imagery and focused on pictures, it might be uh, kind of uh, reductive or, or reduce the quality of the story you're trying to tell or the usefulness of that platform if you have to superimpose disclosure language over whatever video that you or, or picture that you are putting up there. So I will be interested to find out whether that's actually happening. This seems to be one of those where FTC is going a little bit too far. If making an endorsement in a video, the disclosure should be in the video and not just in the description uploaded with the video. Viewers are more likely to notice disclosures made in both audio and video. Some viewers may watch without sound and others may not notice superimposed words. So ideally, from the FTC perspective, if you're endorsing, they want, they want you to have some kind of endorsement notification on the video itself. And YouTube has a box you can check for that. Uh, and they also want you to describe the endorsement specifically in the video as well as uh, elsewhere, also in the description, it sounds like, but not just solely in the description. And if you don't do those things, you can potentially get into trouble uh, with the FTC. Here's the one that I, I highlighted earlier in the video. If making an endorsement in a live stream, the disclosure should be repeated periodically so viewers who only see part of the stream will get the disclosure. And there aren't a great deal of contours on that, right? You have to repeat yourself, but how often? I think if you're using something like the live radio metric where you think about how often they say their station name or identify their, their show, that's probably good enough. And certainly if you are trying to comply with this and you are, you're exercising good faith, uh, then you're going to have a better argument if the FTC letter ever comes in the mail. You can say, hey, I'm trying to do this. Give me better contours. Uh, and hopefully you're not the one that the FTC has decided to make an example of. Although if they are going to make an example of someone, it's going to be someone in all likelihood that is just flouting the rules and doesn't want to comply with them at all and not somebody that's making a best effort attempt to kind of get in front of these disclosure requirements. They also say, use simple and clear language. 
Simple explanations like thanks to Acme brand for the free product are often enough if placed in a way that is hard to miss. So are terms like advertisement, ad, and sponsored. On a space-limited platform like Twitter, you can also use partner or ambassador. It's fine to include a hashtag with the disclosure, such as ad or sponsored, but it's not necessary. But don't use vague or confusing terms like SP, spawn, or collab, or thanks or ambassador away from references to the brand. In essence, the FTC is concerned here about making sure that your followers, your listeners, your viewers understand what you just tried to say. And actually, you know, saying brand partner, brand ambassador is actually a step further towards kind of liberalization of these rules than you might otherwise expect from the FTC. Because at least in my opinion, not everybody that's going to follow you on Twitter or that watches your Instagram or your Twitch stream is going to fully understand what ambassador means. But the FTC is okay with it. And if the FTC is okay with it, you can be okay with it. And so if you have an ambassador language, if you have partner, or if you go so far as to say advertisement or sponsored, you're going to be okay. You just want to stay away from things that could be perceived as vague. The disclosure should be in the same language as the endorsement itself. You know, don't switch to French when you're saying the deal is sponsored. Don't assume that a platform's disclosure tool is good enough. That checkbox on YouTube might not be good enough, but consider using it in addition to your own good disclosure. So use the box. Also say it in the video. Also caption it if you can. If you're on Instagram, superimpose it onto your photos. You know, some of this is going to be stuff that you can comply with easily. Some of this stuff you're going to have to essentially assume uh, are things that are nice to have, quality of life improvements for dealing with the FTC, but that you can understand where your gray area is and try to get those disclosures out in different ways. The, the last page of this, uh, before you start getting into more pictures, because the FTC thinks if you're a social media influencer, you were looking forward to some pictures. You can't talk about your experience with a product you haven't tried. If you're paid to talk about a product and thought it was terrible, you can't say it's terrific. And you can't make up claims about a product that would require proof the advertiser doesn't have, such as scientific proof that a product can treat a health condition. So the broad bucket of this stuff is you can't lie. You can't talk about things you haven't done. You can't say something's great if it's not. The last one is actually an interesting piece of this puzzle in that you can't say something like this, uh, this elixir will cure all ills uh, if the advertiser doesn't have proof of that. So if you are an influencer and you are asked to kind of espouse, even just read the copy of something that's supposed to do something, the FTC would imply here that it's your responsibility to at least go ask for the proof that the advertiser has. I don't think they expect you to be a scientist or be able to kind of figure out whether or not their proof is valid, but to at least ask the question, get some kind of document or email that says, yes, here's the proof that this does what we said it does, that we are asking you to read on your podcast or Twitch stream. And if you don't have that proof, if the advertiser can't provide that proof, you can't say the elixir cures all ills, or you can't say the mattress, mattress will cure your back, or whatever it might be in your endorsement if you don't have that proof from the advertiser. So it's another kind of wrinkle in what you can endorse. And they have it here specifically for scientific proof, but I would imagine it will also imply, uh, apply to various other things claims that some kind of product could make. So if you are an influencer, you're going to want to be cognizant of what they are actually asking you to say about their product if they have that copy. Uh, and if they don't give you that copy, but you want to say, hey, it makes you feel like your headaches have gone away. You should be very careful about that, even if it is your experience, because without that kind of scientific proof, you're an arm of their marketing department. And this is the kind of thing that the FTC gets really worried about. We've talked in video about video games in virtual legality and how the FTC isn't so worried about leisure items and video games and software. They are very much worried about health items and items that could potentially kill somebody or that somebody could take that don't have the effect 
that is at least portrayed to have uh, by a social media influencer or by the company itself. And that's really the whole document. They send you back to the endorsement guidelines. They have some other links here that send you back to the various other documents that we just talked about. But that's what the FTC is focusing on. That is how they are trying to kind of rework how influencers see them, how they see the Federal Trade Commission and what their obligations are. And overall, to try to get in front of, I I believe especially going forward from 2020 on, get in front of what is now one of the most powerful marketing groups in the world, and that is social media influencing. I suspect this will continue to be a story as the FTC continues to kind of look at this, try to make sure that people are complying as much as possible and other avenues to get the information out there and ultimately probably to penalize one or more of them in the future to establish what these rules are and what you can and cannot do. That's been Virtual Legality for today. If you liked it, please like, please subscribe, please share it along with anybody you think might be interested. We're talking about these kinds of things all the time. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.